Hello and welcome to the 132nd episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made to start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is not a game at all. It's a book. It's called Independent by Design by Stace Harmon and John Robertson. Gentlemen, who Hello. are you and what do you do? Well, I am Stace Harmon, and as you've just very nicely introduced us, I am the co-author, creator, and publisher of Independent by Design, Art and Stories of Indie Game Creation. And I am John Robertson, the co-author of that same book, which I'm not going to repeat because I don't want it to sound too much like a like an advert. Um but despite being a co-author, I am my own person. I um, We are not one and the same. Um, <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I mean, yeah. 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 We get on well enough, but I'm glad we're not joined to the hip. That would be... <laughs> well, you must have got on well enough to make this magnificent piece of work. I'm not saying it because I'm talking to you. It genuinely is quite extraordinary, and it's a product of other things that are also extraordinary. So it makes sense that it's, by extension, an amazing piece of work because the games featured in it and developers featured in it are amazing and we will be talking about that in depth later on in the show. But before we do, we do need to ask about your backgrounds. How did you make your start working in the video game industry, whatever capacity that may be? Because we've only hinted at it because you're obviously writers uh, mm. and um, and commentators maybe. But uh, Stace... Tell us about your background. Well, I, um, many, many years ago, I had my start in uh, the very dynamic and exciting world of public sector IT, um, which really is as thrilling as it sounds. Uh, And I got to a certain age um, and decided that if I was going to do it, I needed to do it now. So I saved up some money and went freelance uh that was about seven years ago now and i became a freelance writer and journalist um primarily although not entirely uh, exclusively at that point about video games um i did also do a stint where i was commentating on the bbc one saturday night show strictly come dancing which was quite a thing um much to my yes i've never never watched a single (laughs) second of that show um i don't think i'm a lesser person for it you may disagree Um, no i I certainly don't disagree chris um it's something that i well it was a peculiar thing but it's something that my my wife uh who was then just my my partner just my partner simply my partner uh watched religiously anyway and uh i was doing some games work for msn they asked if i wanted to do some tv work as well um or some commentating on tv not being on tv and i said sure why not and that was the gig that came up came up so that was a uh live blogging strictly come dancing that was quite a thing uh that was a different it feels like a different life now um And I progressed from there, moved, left that behind, and uh, started writing more and more about games, um, commenting on games and critiquing games, reviewing games. Um, and yes, I've been doing that now for, for seven years, freelance the entire time, um, culminating 
in the big yellow book that uh, that we've produced and that I'm holding in my hands right now, which is rather heavy and is it, and uh, yellow. It is, but have what was the trigger? What was the? You must be writing about games before you went freelance. What was the first foray into that that very difficult realm? That um, I mean, it, <laughs> I was. Uh, I was writing about the, my very, very, very first piece of writing that I, I did about video games was in my teenage years when I, and I still have them to this day, handwritten um, when that was still a thing, yeah. on pieces of lined paper with a, a real life pen um, in horrible, scrawly handwriting. I wrote a review in inverted commas of Tenshu Stealth Assassins on the PlayStation One. That was a great game. That was a great game. I, I, yeah, I genuinely really loved that game. Um, it's terrible what they did to the series, but yeah, that it, first it game was, was awesome. It, it was yeah. a bit of a tragedy. But <laughs> yes, Tenchu. I also have a handwritten review of uh, Resident Evil Three Nemesis, I think it was called, and um, and Broken Sword Two. So those were the very first pieces of games writing that I did. They were never ever published anywhere, um, and I, I dare say will never be published anywhere. No, no. Um, but that was a very long time ago. I then fell into my 20s, uh, went travelling, got various random jobs, the aforementioned job in public sector IT. Yes. yes. Um, and it was there when I was working at King's College London that I did a bit of writing on the side for gamesindustry.biz, uh, which is part of the Gamer Network. Mm. And that was just straight Q&As. That was interviewing a lot of... Uh, European, uh, mostly independent developers, some retailers as well, uh, and just writing those up as a straight Q&A. So I didn't really have a great deal of experience in uh, professional writing when I decided to go freelance. So it was a bit of a do or die thing. Um, And at that same time, I also bought with my partner, my first property so it was all a bit ridiculous went freelance quit my reasonably well-paid job um but at least secure job it's very much secure quit my job and went freelance and um unfortunately uh very fortunately haven't really looked back since then so yeah that was my my first real professional writing stint was was straight q a's and i kind of just progressed from from there and that was yeah, back going back seven years ago now wow which is amazingly 2010 to remind everyone mm. of this fact <laughs> yeah, yeah 10, 10 years ago yeah. was not 2000 you know you know it's, it's yeah. yeah it wasn't really 1999 it's not 1999 like people it. think that but john how yeah. about yourself how did you make your first forays into in this industry we call video games apparently uh well, can, can I just say first that I had no idea about the uh, Strictly Come Dancing <laughs> commentary, and now I'm starting to question whether this this Should partnership is even a good idea. Should we stop now? Should um, we just stop the show and like, okay, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> we have an internal an internal meeting. Post-haste. Yeah, I think um, I'm I'm getting on Google Calendar now, and I'm, I'm <laughs> penning that. Find that, find that copy. Um, you need to find that copy um, and read it, and go right. That's a thing that Stace has done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but no, my um, my route into uh, writing about games was was quite different. I um, I studied film at university, so that was always um, 
that was where my first kind of thinking was developed in any sort of in-depth way about um, art or media or or creative pursuits. But I've always I'd always been um, interested in games, and I mean, looking back on it now, I, I guess I might have even studied games at university if I was even aware that that might have been a thing, which I'm not sure I was at that age. It certainly never came across my mind in any serious way um but the kind of the film course that i studied was mainly theoretical based so it was a lot of criticism it was writing screenplays um more so than actually practical making of films so i was writing a lot at university um and then in the last year of that i started contributing free of charge to various blogs here and there um the odd piece for student newspaper um and yeah finished university began freelance work shortly after that um i think BitTech was the website was the first place that i got my um first professional commission from um but yeah freelance wasn't and an easy way to kind of get into the games industry without having a reputation. So I joined Sega's QA department, worked in the QA department for a little while, moved on to the localization team, which was a case of taking games that had been roughly translated into English by Japanese people in Japan and tidying them up for um, English speaking market um did that for a year or so didn't really enjoy it it's not if anyone's ever worked in qa i'm sure some people listening to this have it's not the most stimulating of environment it's a lot of the time um i sort of fortuitously really almost by fluke just a conversation at a press event that happened to be um attending I was still doing a bit of freelance work on the side while working in QA. So I was uh, attending press events. Uh, a meeting there led to me eventually getting the editor's position at um, a website called Ink Gamers, which has since changed its name. Back then it was called Ink Gamers. It's now called PC Invasion. Um, edited that website for a couple of years. Decided editing wasn't really what I wanted to do. It was limiting my time writing. So... Um, yeah, ever since then, I've been contributing on a freelance basis um, to various newspapers, magazines, websites. Um, I do football writing as well um, to kind of clear my brain of video game thoughts now and again. Yeah, palette cleansers, like all those. It's, it's good, <clears> just, just like, yeah, it's, um, I, I think it's very, it's, it's healthy. I mean, yeah. um when you when you kind of lock yourself into one thing so deeply it can be difficult to see the wood for the trees sometimes and um the football writing does kind of help because it's still you know there's, there's a lot to chew on there so being able to yeah as you say cleanse your palate um and then come back afresh is is quite helpful i mean the, the closest i've gone to that but it's not it's 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 peculiar for me to say it but i've gone into ball games and tabletop rpgs as well so that's yeah. a different. There's still games, but they're in a different. You know, especially RPGs, yeah. they're in a very strange place right now. In a very exciting place, but it's just like 
you know, I could go on, and I'm not going to on this show, but it's it's good to have that different approach and to look at all those different mediums. I mean, I'm very happy to say that I play games to, to tip, what, anything, unless it's got the only thing I draw the line on, and sorry for everyone, the regular listeners, but I don't do Warhammer game things where you take a tape measure out. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You measuring curtains or something? I'm just not, not doing that. Just already, no, no. But everything else is fair game. And, uh, yeah, similar to that, I just like sometimes oh, I'll do a review of a, a board game or a book that they've released on an RPG, and it's 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 a very different kettle of fish. I mean, it's good. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think um, I think it's important for any writer, certainly if you're in a um, in a position where you're critiquing things, you you it's important to think in depth about other elements of culture and society to mm-hmm. put your mind in that different context. If you're just kind of focused in on your one thing, it's very different difficult to kind of give yourself a, a perspective of where that one thing you're writing about exists within the rest of the world, if you, if you see what I mean. Yes, it's uh, uh, something I also say uh, to developers, you know, we need more people who uh, have no interest in Star Wars making video games. <laughs> Diversity is, exactly, is, is, yeah. is important, and having that, I mean, a broad spectrum of, of books read, um, films watched, and theatres and plays gone to that kind of thing is very very important especially for creators otherwise their output becomes stale yeah, uh, yeah and you end up talking in circles and no one wants to read that and you don't want to write it either so you know. yeah well, it becomes a bit like an echo chamber you're only yeah. really speaking to other people that are only interested in that one thing yeah. um, it becomes you know you want to challenge them and go i don't know what that word means or i don't know what that phrase means or i don't know what that reference means but i'm going to find out and yeah. that's what yeah. i think is a bit of a victory so yeah, it, is, it is as you allude to there chris i think that's the it's not just framing things in a wider context it's even just down to the nuts and bolts of the language that's used i think it's too far too easy to fall into the trap of of using almost the shorthand that if you read and write about whatever it might be in this case video games that you fall into that trap of using those terms because it's okay my audience knows what i'm talking about and and almost to not use those shorthand terms it, it seems out of place when you give things their proper name it's like well why are you calling that a a, a first person shooter as a very basic example rather than an fps it's it's a it's good to kind of write for different people and write in a different way and and flex your uh, not just your creative muscles but even even just your vocabulary just to um it's it's branch out absolutely pacing cadence is something i have a big fan of an understanding of what Mm. that means and how you how there's a rhythm in everything um Mm. mine's unfortunately or fortunately uh influenced by much earlier work because i'm very old (laughs) so you know i i you know you said your first review video game was of a playstation game well, mine mm. was of an Intellivision game. <laughs> so that says something about yeah, my age, but different. very, very different. Uh, much I was certainly playing. I was certainly playing games around that age in Commodore sixteen and Commodore sixty four era. Yeah. I, I don't know uh, that I would have had much to uh, much to contribute in terms of of my writing at that stage. Hopefully, people feel that that has I has do changed. Remember having somewhat. a little te- exercise book filled with little reviews of. Badly written, very badly written. But hey, at least I was trying. 
but you know, I blame you. <laughs> I, I certainly my my humour, even to this day, has been influenced by your Sinclair and that sort of thing. I make no apologies mm-hmm. for that. I try. I mean, over the last 20, 20, 10 years, I've reined all that in because it's been done. They did it twenty years ago, thirty years ago now. Your Sinclair mm-hmm. is a distant memory. It's important for all of us, whether we like it or not. That publication and many other newsfield and and not other videos but newsfield publications and those were you know ace magazine what stuff they were the building blocks of british journalism in video game and well and we, we should be brightly proud of it it's a, it's a very reverent way of looking at things and it, it worked um, it wasn't so po-faced as certain other uh, outlets and it was it's, it was important but they can only take that so far and eventually mm. and it becomes a bit tiresome and uh, so, thankfully, I've sort of, hopefully, I've branched free from that. But it's certainly, you know, it's a very important influencer for me. And speaking to your, to your, to yourselves, John and, and Stace, what do you think uh, influences you most? Do you find that is is the thing that you've been drawing from from these years of creating commentary on video games? Um. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how far to take this. I don't know how how pretentious you want me to sound, or, or how, how pretentious I'm prepared <laughs> just, to allow myself. To John, sound. yeah, just be yourself. Yeah. We'll, we'll be the judge of we'll be the judge of the pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose um, I suppose my influences are. I mean, they're not necessarily directly related to video games, really. I mean, I've always been um inspired by sort of i suppose learning simply learning more and then communicating that to people so um i mean it sounds egotistical but i like to kind of communicate everything i'm i'm passionate about um everything that i've learned and i'm simultaneously passionate about. i like to sort of communicate that to other people's um and you know kind of with a view to kind of diversifying or uh, expanding upon the conversation around whatever that is so I suppose to that end I mean I've always been inspired by writers um, in the non-fiction space people like Noam Chomsky or um, Michael Lewis Malcolm Gladwell like people like that who are taking a very wide diverse set of um, influences and structures whether they're political or economic or sporting um and then they kind of write in a way that educates the audience with a view to making the world better i suppose is is there is the ultimate is the ultimate goal there so i suppose that's that's in a way what i kind of uh you know emulate i want to emulate that to a certain degree with video games writing uh, um yeah i mean that's an excellent answer um, that's that's exactly what i was thinking of some kind of inspiration from others or being drawn from their ability to to paint uh, a picture again sounds pretentious we can't help it but being able to c- yeah. construct an idea <clears throat> that's ultimately quite abstract without people actually watching a video and what have you being able to get that idea across quickly and easily and understand them and being in an understandable manner is, is a, is a, is a skill that, uh, yeah. And I, and I think, I think it can be particularly interesting. Like if you're a skilled communicator, you, you needn't have an audience that is, um, interested in what you're writing about. I mean, Michael Lewis, um, 
me, but I don't know. He's the guy that wrote Moneyball and um, which is about a baseball kind of trade system and The Blind Side, which is about the NFL um flash boys which is about um flash doc trading i mean you don't need to know or have any interest in those things beforehand because he kind of draws you in he writes in a way that is he's learning along with you so there's no pretension to the way that he's writing he starts off from a position of he doesn't really know a lot about it at first and then he kind of builds you up as he as he builds up his own knowledge and you know, i think there's a good skill to that and um yeah, if you could, if I could just be one tenth of that, then I'd be satisfied. Excellent. What about you, Stace? What's the things that you draw from? I think it's for me. It's very much the the empathetic connections and the I when I'm reading the, the things I most enjoy reading um, or or watching, or listening to, whatever it might be, are things that I feel connected to, which is is a very obvious thing. And that's, you know, even subconsciously, those, are, I guess, are the things that we're most drawn to um, because we feel some sort of, of connection on a level beyond just, oh, I quite like the way that that person writes. And that is something that I've discovered over the years has become increasingly important to me. So it's not just what is written is is the way that it is written and i i am although i was never a, a real uh, a student in the uh in the official sense of language it is something that i'm very interested in and it, it's a it's kind of a, a rabbit hole that it's easy to disappear down and it turn into a certain amount of navel gazing and, and just everybody turning kind of uh florid phrases and and it all being very arty for the sake of it but it's it's something that i find um, that i'm drawn to so even even in something where it's a very concise even something where it might be a, a short story or it might be a two and a half minute song or it might be a piece of video game writing it's there are just certain little bits that i can pick out that really kind of get their hooks into me and and I connect with and it's that when I'm speaking to people uh so be it independent developers or whoever else it's those are the things it's the it's those kind of personal connections that I'm drawing on and hoping to uh hoping to communicate to the audience hoping to kind of shine a light on a little bit to 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 I guess to show that everybody that you speak to is a human being and you might have a preconceived idea about their thoughts and feelings based on um, their body of work in the case of perhaps a video game developer. But actually when you, you speak to these people, it's, it's nice to be reminded that there is a person there who has hopes and fears and aspirations and sometimes crises of confidence Um and that things don't just spring fully formed. They they take a lot of work and time to reach the the end goal. Um, and I, I kind of I like that the J word. I like that that journey along the way, and and being able to kind of uh, illustrate that a bit for for other people. Yeah, we, we have skirted around the J word in the previous conversation, mm. conversation we've had, and I'm happy that someone said it. <laughs> Oh yeah, I've broken the taboo. Broken the taboo, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Um, visceral will be the next word to uh, <laughs> try to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> or it's great if you like that sort of thing. So 
It's, yeah. There we go. We've done the three, the trio. Uh, <laughs> um, how people wrote reviews for Journey, I don't know. There's, there's that joke. This is awesome. Death is. Um, let's move on to something more pleasant. Who do you most admire in the uh, industry and why? Can be in the commentary side or the video game creation side. I don't mind. Who's the? I mean, you can also have a collection of people rather than just one. But is there any particular mm. group of people or people you think you need a shout out, if you will? Um, I suppose. Uh, I mean, one of the um, one of the my first sort of um, icons of admiration, I suppose. Um, and this ties into my football writing, I, I guess. But the the first game that I was ever really I knew that I loved games. I knew that they could speak to me. Um, it was a championship manager series, which is um, the Collier brothers are the guys that, that um, started that. And um, I mean, I loved that because it was the perfect sort of video game that could, it was the first one that really showed me, I suppose, that video games could have an impact in the real world outside of video games um, and this might have just been because of my situation but I loved the way that those guys managed to build something that was so realistic and so complicated I, mean, I, I still think it's, it's the most complicated and the most robust world building game the most robust RPG I mean they're every it's just insanely complicated but um yeah, I don't know. They created something that kind of spoke to all football fans, whether you're a video game fan or not. So there was a video game there that allowed me to talk to my friends that weren't interested in video games about a video game along with the football at the same time that we both, that we all kind of did have that collective love of. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, no, I've always admired that that series and now and those guys for being able to create something um that is sort of beyond the usually defined boundaries of what a video game is and who a video game might appeal to um so yeah no i that, that that's that would that's the answer i usually would give um for that question okay. that, yeah oh, thanks Don. i mean I, I never got involved with those not because I didn't like them it's because I just feared them. I just knew they would turn mm. into this dreadful time sink. So instead, I oh, yeah. instead I played WoW. Really, Chris? Really? Where did you go with that? <laughs> anyway, that's a quick five minute five minute job. Yeah, that, isn't yeah, it, it was. Yeah, I I could tell. Oh yeah, tell no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, championship managers are um, they're not they're they're a second life really. Exactly. They're, they're you have to you have to they're not a five minute no. jump in jump they're, out. They're like Eve. Um, which is a game I sort of respectfully look at from a distance, like that's a thing that exists. Anyway, <laughs> I like yeah, the stories that yeah. come out. I think one's has come out recently about someone destroying thirteen thousand dollars worth of ships in a, in a, mm. in a half an hour uh, because they did a surprise attack. Apparently, which they spent yeah. probably a year planning. Stace, <laughs> well, can you yes. tell us about um, um, what what uh, anything you particularly admire. Well, I think coming perhaps coming at it from the the other side, I think there's a couple of uh, commentators, um, critics, journalists who I admire 
very much and I, I love as i was talking about earlier this kind of idea of connecting and and empathizing um both i think christian donlan of uh eurogamer fame and previously freelance extraordinaire and um and also simon parkin uh yes. both of those guys i i have i mean i've I'm sure I've read something of theirs that I've been not so fussed about, but it's hard. I'd be hard pressed to to find what that is. That they both of those writers very much uh, kind of speak to me, as it were. It's I always kind of. I think if I open ever open up a, an article or a feature, particularly a long form feature, and it's got one of their names at the top, then I, I there's a sort of a a uh, a mental sort of settling down that I do, and I'm right. Okay, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna enjoy this. I'll I'll go and make a cup of tea and, and sit down and, and and read their work. Um, so yes, both of those guys in terms of of uh, commentating. Um, probably going a bit further back. There's uh, guys like the Bitmap Brothers. Uh, the um, games like uh, Xenon and and uh, speedball and things like that, I think were things that I grew up on and, and had probably a very similar attachment to that whenever whenever there was a game that I knew um, had been created by the entity known as Bitmap Brothers, uh, it was, yeah, that was always a, a sort of a special moment for me. Yeah, uh, in fact, uh, Mr. Parkin's actually in the book, isn't he? Um Indeed, yes, he is. It's a great addition that wasn't expecting that. For oh, that's a, that's a good thing. The uh, interviewer, a commentator themselves, and uh, yeah, he does have an extraordinary mind and insight into um, how video games work. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a good call. And yeah, Bitmap Brothers—they've made some fantastic stuff. Um, Speedball Two being the most famous, of course. Um, mm, yeah. But uh, there's many others. Xenon, I remember on the ST. Playing that for the first yes, time. Yes, exactly. That was yeah. just... the, the Atari STE I had. I had one of oh, those. I'm nice. not sure what made it an E rather than just an ST. I, I've never. I, I do know, but yeah. I won't bore the audience or yourself, Stace. But the, <laughs> I do know why it's called E. Um, but uh, it was called Enhanced and it had extra joystick ports. Did you know you could plug in a Jaguar joystick into an STE? I, I didn't. I didn't know that. I do remember that the joystick ports were underneath. The computer, yes. sorry, underneath the so keyboard, was, which was yes, right, yeah. a ridiculous place was, to have them because the, <laughs> the the cables just invariably got kind of bent out of shape and then stopped working after a while. Um, I had because you never really bothered to lift it up and pull them out properly by the head of the connector. You just pulled on the lead until you know waggled it enough until it kind of just came, came loose. loose. And, yeah. and uh, and then and then invariably then came loose, uh, you know, connection wise as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, 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 had I, little, that. I had little extension cables coming out, so I didn't have to. Oh, that would have been clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also remember so... going to have to upgrade the memory for the Atari ST. I think it came with half a megabyte of yes. memory. And I remember playing Monkey Island, Secret of Monkey Island, um, and getting somewhere very near the end and having all sorts of problems which apparently were based on the fact that we didn't have enough memory because uh, i think it said on the front of the box very clearly recommended with one megabyte of memory um and we didn't have that and we went to find out went to a place in i think beckenham in southeast london yeah. 
uh, went to find out how much it would cost to upgrade from half a meg to one meg, and I think it was going to be about thirty pounds, which at that age was an awful lot of money. So we um, we had to skip that and uh, and just soldier through. But yes, that's anyway. That's uh, remembering yeah, a bit, a bit of retro stuff there. Yes, there mm. was a couple of things on the side. There were the ones where you could plug the um, enhanced joysticks into, but at the ah, time, so. there was no Jaguar there. I don't know. anyway stuff. <laughs> but uh, good call, good good uh, good responses on that. And then finally, uh, my question, I have to ask this because it's a video game related podcast, so I have to ask this question. What are you both playing right now? Well, I've been playing, I've been revisiting uh, some games actually. So okay. um, I've been playing Darkest Dungeon on Vita, uh, which is by a company I believe it believe it's red hook yes they've been on the show lovely people um yes so i've been playing darkest dungeon and i've also been i've gone back to ftl um (laughs) i've been playing a lot of ftl listening to that sublime soundtrack um and as a kind of a, a bigger more mainstream i've been playing hitman a lot over the last year on and off i've been dipping in and out of that um so yeah those are the kinds of the things that have been occupying most of my time recently what about you john um most of my time has been spent playing stardew valley recently um (laughs) yeah they come out they they put it on sale over christmas didn't they yeah yeah i (laughs) i didn't start playing it until i don't know three or four weeks ago maybe but um it's been hard to play anything else um i don't know like that game it's got something about it i've got a real soft spot actually at the moment for games where um you're kind of working with the game rather than against the game um which which Stardew Valley does kind of do like it wants you it wants you to succeed I mean yeah it might it might fire you through the seasons and it makes the plants difficult to grow and you've got a plan ahead and stuff but ultimately it wants you to win it wants you to do a good job it's not trying to kill you at every at every corner um, yeah, yeah I mean, so I've been it's playing a little that. bit like uh, Animal Crossing in that regard the only mm. difference being that Tom Nook wants to kneecap you. <laughs> Unless you give him lots of bells. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never I never really played Animal Crossing. I played Harvest Moon. Uh right. one on the GBA, I think. Played that an awful lot of that. I don't know how, how much that how closely that compared to uh Well to Animal Crossing, unfortunately but... I've yeah, I've never played Harvest Moon, so it's like oh great. Ah, this is a we're, great we're at an impasse. <laughs> we're at a complete yeah. impasse. Like I have no reference, no reference. All I've got is this crazy raccoon who wants to kill me. Well, yeah, there was no, there was no crazy raccoon in, in Harvest Moon. Um, no, yeah, Harvest I've Moon. never played Harvest Moon either. I mean, this is the first sort of farm game, I suppose you call it, that yeah. I've ever really played. But it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't stop playing it. No, I, I've, I've watched people on stream because I do watch streams sometimes when I'm doing other things, and um, yeah, that's a very popular game to stream because like, oh look, I've got mm. some turnips, and off they go, tottering off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've watched a few. I mean, it's good to get ideas for your farm and like how to plan it out, how to go about yeah. planning for winter and stuff. Well, it's more of the point how not to do things, which is even more. Oh, not yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> like don't do that because now this is going to see. I told you that's what's. I put it in chat. Don't do it, but you didn't listen. So right, yeah, right. no. So, okay. Um, yeah, great, great answers. Um, yes. Anything else, John? You said you're gonna. You said you. I sort of cut you off, but do you, anything else you play? Um, do. 
Yeah, I'm playing um, Prison Architect a little bit as well, um, which I have played in the past, but not not all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I suppose I don't I don't really like the kind of the money management stuff. But if you play with cheats that and just get infinite everything, then Prison Architect becomes an amazing game. Um, <laughs> Um, again, I'm not interested in really the computer, the AI systems working against me to to stop me having the dream prison I want. I'd rather just treat it like a doll's house and just do whatever I want. Like that's... The dream prison. Well, that's, that's what prison architect is. My first yeah, well, prison we live in Trump Fisher here, Price. It's just, I've got an amazing electric chair. No, you really don't. No. <laughs> No, but your system towards funneling into the most efficient way possible into the electric chair could be amazing. Yes, yes, it certainly could. Uh, but that's a um, very, very dark game. I'll never forget first encountering like, wait, didn't these people make Darwinia? I don't. This makes <laughs> yeah. no sense. I know they're in the book as well. That's some reference. Uh, lovely people, uh, but uh, very, very inventive. Uh, and yeah. that's that's you know, the fact that they went from World War Three to. <laughs> to one game to the other. I mean, there is there's influences from one each from each game they've made. There's sort of there is a string, there's a vein, there's a very strange vein running through them, and only they can figure out what that is. But uh, um, yeah, one game leads into the other. I believe is the phrase they used. Um, yeah. Well, I just need to play something that kind of counteracts the sort of saccharine whimsy of Stardew Valley. So. <laughs> Prison architect is a kind of perfect balance. <laughs> it is. That is. Slap very, everybody very... in solitary confinement. That's it. Yeah, you're only allowed out for one hour a day. That's, it's either uh... yeah, it's either that or Biden of Isaac, I guess, because that's pretty dark. Uh, that's that's a that's another game that I do often often go back to. Um, yeah. and that that is that's phenomenal. The amount of hours and uh, well days and weeks I've put into that game. Um, it just gives back so much, doesn't it? That's it does. It does. There's yeah. There's a lot to be said for um, for the dark and twisted mind of uh, Edmund McMillan. That's that's uh, a lot of fun. And apparently, a game that he made just kind of as a well, a holiday project. I think yeah. I vaguely remember him talking about. I think yeah. it was after um, after the the high stress of. Uh, Super Meat Boy. Super Meat Boy, yeah. and he he wanted to do something else, so he just threw together what turned into the binding of isaac which um which is now not, i don't know the numbers but i would imagine is is more just in terms of pure sales and, and perhaps popularity as well i imagine is is probably more popular than than super meat boy i don't know i might be that might be, uh, might just be to right. say that i'm not sure i don't it's... know many people who talk at great length many years after super meat boy other than other than to make reference to it in that it's really hard but it's really hard yeah really hard and you instantly restart <laughs> That's basically what people talk about <laughs> yes. Super Meat Boy. There's way more to it than that, but they're the things that they glom onto and go, yeah, that's that reference point. That's when those games started doing that. When you die, mm. instantly, re- instantly respawn, therefore made it less punishing. Okay. Mm. Um, but, yeah. Um... <laughs> Which is an excellent dynamic in itself. That's it a, is. A, a, sorry, mechanic, it is. rather. It is a brilliant thing to, you know, let's not faff around. Let's not um, enforce this kind of... Yeah unnecessary weight and uh, yeah. and backtracking on you you just yeah just restart okay. and start again carry on and then look at all the blood trails you left behind from the failures <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's the end of the first half well done gents you, you've made it still alive excellent leveled up Yay. yeah leveled up ding um 
And um, but now we're going to the second half of the show, which is the um, meat, if you will, the potato. And uh, we're going to delve deep into independent design. So, uh, I know it's a short time. Stace. Yes. Zeroth question. What is independent by design? Please. Well, independent by design, art and stories of indie game creation, to give it its, its full title. Full title. Um, and it is a, it's a rather large yellow book on, as the subtitle suggests, uh, the, um, the art and the stories behind the creation of independent games. Uh, it's all bound up in one big hardcover book um, that has some rather nice materials, even if I do say so myself. The paper's of a nice thick stock. Uh, it's a nice glossy shine to it. Uh, the cover has some very lovely spot UV and uh, soft-touch finishes. Um <laughs> I'm trying to not to sound like a used a used car salesman, uh, but it Tire is essentially. Off he goes. Yes. <laughs> I sound like um, I sound like <laughs> I sound like Stan from uh, from the Monkey Island games yeah, trying to yeah. sell your ship. Yeah. Yes, and I, I could never get over his his his, his jacket. But the pattern yeah, would stay the same, big hat. no matter yeah. what he sees arm movement was. It was that was it, and he, yeah, he gesticulated wildly, didn't he? Which is what I'm doing right now, yeah. um, for the benefit of the, the listeners. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gesticulating wildly. Um, yes, it is a hardback book that looks at, uh, well, 26 to be precise, um, independent developers, but also some, some games writers and some uh, game commentator, composer, uh, who create and are involved in um, independent games, and it's our our way of bringing to bear some of the stories that uh, that we've heard over the years, and and some of the very interesting people that we've spoken to over the years, and going back and speaking to them in detail at length, and and just learning about what makes them tick, why they make games over another type of. Uh, creative medium and and how they use that to express themselves how they use it to connect with their audience and and how they use it to creatively satisfy um their their own peculiar or particular <laughs> urges um it was kickstarted in 2015 and it came out properly uh in november 2016 um, and has had some very lovely things said about it, which is, which is very nice. But it's, yeah, that's. I think that's it. In a nutshell, it's it's our. It's, it is beautiful. Big book on indie devs. It is beautifully laid out. The when I first opened it, I was like the first page. I went, oh, I think there's a couple of pages stuck together. Nope, 
Well, that's the stock. That's the that's the paper they've used, and the things in here are just amazing. There's 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 everything from basic sort of concept sketches on the back of a envelope to to like proper sort of three D rendering of, of of things that they've actually made the cut. And everything is just the uh, you know the, the the overall thought processes of people. Um, they, they, they they and all there's also score. There's a score. There's mm. some music here. It was mm. um, by the Chinese room. It's just just wonderful just to have that in there. You know, whether you can read music or not, that's not the point. The fact that it's it's there. It's a piece. It's it's it's, it's part of the creation process. And I'm just flicking through it now, and in the whole section on um, Hotline Miami, which is one of my favourite games of, uh, of of all time, uh, because of its just its immediacy I mean this, that, that, that game I'm no good at video games I'm terrible but I finished it <laughs> I finished it despite myself I don't know yeah. what there's the something obviously buried inside my brain so you know what you may be rubbish but on this game you're not <laughs> so um, you're a superman I was that's a super. very difficult game as well yeah and I just got through it like, I'm not I'm, I want to know what happens I don't know what exactly what's going on and I don't care <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah and uh, so when that was in there i was really happy that you managed to get them um the, the the creators of that fantastic game which is made using game maker no less mm. <laughs> it's still an amazing thing <laughs> like well there's no yeah just game maker that's all yeah 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 amazing <laughs> stuff excellent um so first question then one of the things we haven't really touched upon but we're going to delve into now is there's a huge international bent, if you will, uh, in, in the book, um, which was a very, I was very happy to see. You could have easily gone very parochial and made this a, a champion of British game design and had some MP standing next to it going, hurrah! But no, you didn't. Oh, you're not going to like our second Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh god is that okay right okay Um, but anyway be that as it may so I wanted to ask you during your discussions did you find any fundamental differences of how one person from another country versus another um, approached game design or work their work ethic was it different in any way or was it just generally whoever you met whoever you spoke to regardless of their colour creed or origin um, was pretty much the same. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that um, any two of the studios in the in the book are um, approach their work in the same way. But I also probably wouldn't go to the other extreme either and say that their um, that they that their country of origin kind of impacts how they make games necessarily. I mean, you mentioned game maker and I mean, tools like game maker and, um, unity and things like that. I've made games so much more accessible from the creator level that it doesn't really matter if your country has a, a, a history in games or a, a big, um, stock of programmers to, draw upon or or whatever i mean you really can make games no matter where you're from um yeah you have to learn it you have to learn to use game maker of course but it's <clears throat> excuse me it's, it's a tool that's accessible to everyone um 
there are there were differences in terms of the inspirations and how the kind of different communities work. Um, so Hotline Miami, you mentioned uh, Denerton, uh, the creators of that game from Sweden there. It's not a huge gaming community there. It's kind of congregated in one small area um, and they happen to be part of that community. Um, so they're lucky in that regard. It, it could have been the case that if they were outside of that area, they might not have maybe been inspired so much or might not have had the community support around them. Um, 11-Bit Studios um, were... Uh, inspired by I mean they're from Poland uh, inspired by might not be the right sense but they're definitely impacted by um, the founding members of that studio growing up in a country that was still communist at the time and so there was a lot of emphasis in the education system on maths and computer science and programming so that country had no shortage of programmers and people that were experts in the computer sciences so that did give them a certain um advantage i suppose um when it came to creating games so yeah i think it's what was interesting talking to people from different countries was more the the inspirations towards um their initial engagement with game creation i suppose on on a on a on an inspirational level and how they sort of formulated their ability to even believe that games were a thing that they might be able to get involved with, um, I suppose. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's lots of different um, ways that different different studios go into the game. Um, like Roll7, they're from the UK. They started out in the, in the education system. They they would work with kids that had been um, expelled from school or at least temporarily um, suspended from school and they would run courses based around photography and film and then eventually video games and they would be used as kind of um, rewards for those um, expelled kids to re-engage with formal education and do their maths, do their English, do their science lessons, and then you can come and make a video game with with these guys. Um, so yeah, I mean, no matter where the where the studio was from, there was always interesting um, differences between them. But I'm not sure it was necessarily based around the fact that they were from a different part of the world necessarily. No, and it, that's I don't think it would be either. It's just I was just curious about how much of their own local culture would feed into what they're creating i suspect something but nothing particularly tangible uh, you'd have to know the culture itself to need to identify anything um but ultimately you might see a certain sense of humor that would be appealed to that sort of part of the world opposed to another and that happens a lot i mean uh, we all know that uh, grand theft auto is a good example of that where mm. grand theft auto is made by scottish people <laughs> yeah. and there's this satire yeah against the American, not against, but satire about American culture. That's Yeah, and I suppose the the Chinese really make games that are quite British-feeling, in a way. Like, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture is very, you know... It's terribly British. When I was walking through that village, it was like, wow, this this, this twee. (laughs) Even despite what, you know, what happened in the village or the world, what can gather, it was quite Mm. twee. 
Okay. Well, next question then. And this is something that struck me as I was reading it and also from my own personal experience doing similar interviews and outputs and, and writing for, for various outlets as you two have done as too, is would you consider writing a similar book but for more, so we say, mainstream titles, and for want of a better phrase, and I'm going to use that three-letter acronym, I hate it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> would you, would, if it were possible, would you do it? Well, I think there's, I mean, certainly our original reason for teaming up, John, John and I, was to, we banded around a few ideas, um, and this book was the result of that. So we were teaming up to to write this book, basically. But having done that and having spoken to a lot of other companies through creating this book, um, both during the actual creation process and since it was released um we are now a a fledgling but established um company that well a publishing company effectively i mean we are it is something that we're going to go forward and, and create more books um the exact subject of those is is to be decided there are conversations being had and and things in the pipeline and all of the rest of it i think there's when you're creating something like this, if you if you are creating a book that you want to have as much uh, art as you have words, um, obviously some some books are very art heavy and are very much kind of designed that way to be a coffee table experience that you pick up and you flick through and and it's reasonably light on reading and they are that's what they set out to do. Ours um, is 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 as much writing as it is art, if not even more so. But it's when you set out to create something like that, um, part of the appeal of doing that is that you get to speak to people at length, find out what those stories are behind the different game creation, the different formation of studios, um, and find out what makes them tick. And then you set that down in a book. So I think irrespective really of the subjects, provided you're given enough time and enough access and you have a reasonable rapport with the people that you're speaking to, you will find interesting stories to tell in any area. And I, I am reminded, actually, as I'm, as I'm saying this, that you see it in other mediums as well. I think like there's a one of the reasons uh, that something like Great British Bake Off or uh, there's a couple of other programs that do things like, um, I think there's the Great Pottery Throwdown is another one. And there's a portrait artist um, show that's presented by Frank Skinner. And all of these shows, you know, it's about baking or it's about pottery or it's about art, whatever it might be. But what they're doing really is spending a lot of time on the creation process. And you get to know the people behind the creation process and it's as much about that as it is about well that's you know having a nice lemon tart at the end of it or having a a portrait of a famous person at the end of it it's it's how they put those things together how they draw from the influences um their own personal influences to create these things and how they put a twist on on their own individual way of doing things and so i, I think things like that and as i say when you set out to make a book um, about more or less anything that's the interesting bit so the the short answer is i mean yes there, there's no reason 
the caveat being you need the access uh, and you need people to, to talk to, I think, um, to make it really interesting, then, yeah, there's there's no reason why you can't um, create something that is of, of value and, you know, genuinely adds has something to say and adds to the medium, um, be it very niche games or, or much more mainstream games as well. Yeah, it's, just a, it's a thing that struck me. Like, oh, I wonder if they could do it for insert, you know, mainstream game here. Like, oh, or if we could do something mm. for Mass Effect. They might have done something already <laughs> on that. But, you know, there's, there, they probably have actually thinking about it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. Yeah, it's about they... gaining access, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's that's. I mean, personally, yeah, I'd love to tell the story of Mass Effect or or you know Halo or whatever it is. Um, it's just about whether that's that's possible. You know, um, would X company want to do that themselves because they've certainly got the resources? So you know, exactly. Exactly. So the, the uh, typical kind of thing on that is, yeah. is is the art book, isn't it? I mean, that's the yeah. that generally is what gets produced. It gets it's a very glossy, yeah. very lovely in most cases looking art book that has a degree of concept art in it, and a, and you know you get to see some of the the process through the. Uh, it's very visually led. You get to see some of the process through the the visuals. Um, not always quite so in depth in terms of of interviews or or words, but it makes a nice companion piece to the game or the series that it might be about. But it's um, yeah, there's not perhaps as much in depth writing uh, about those those kind of big titles. I mean, I'd love to do something on like The Last of Us, for example. I think that would be a great mm, yeah uh, a great game or games to, well, I did to en- do. Something. I did enjoy that apart from the very last bit where I suddenly realised. Oh look, it's just loads of monster boxes. Yes, <laughs> and then I cursed myself for, for discovering that. So, um, five, uh, the, the penultimate question now. I've noticed uh, this is a bit game design like question, but I noticed the layout was very interesting. It's scatological, if you will. If that's the right word. It's you, you, you sort of flick through, and there's interviews, and they have images. Uh, next to them, and then you sort of you'd be struck by one as a full page in, um, image that has absolutely nothing to do with what you've just been reading about. Um, why? Why did you do that? Why did you just sort of like to sort of rather than have it sort of back game and then some backup images, or why did you just sort of splash it all over with, with all sorts of images? What, what was your thinking behind that? Um, well, yeah. Well, as Stace was saying, we, you know, we wanted it to be as as valid as a a a visual a, a visual book as it was one to read. Um, and we did go back and forward a lot on where to put different things, how to how to have an overall structure that is either uniform or not. Um, and I guess what we what we eventually decided was. But it's nice to have. Um, it's nice to have. I mean, in in the first sense, it's nice to have spreads of art, whether that's the concept drawings, it's a painting, it's it's whatever. Um, it's nice to take that out of context sometimes and kind of just appreciate that visual image for what it is without the not, the baggage. Sounds like a negative word. I don't mean. I mean out just out of context of. Uh, with the rest of the game so you know you got the the spaceship and ftl was as one of the 
as one of those um, art spreads. And it's nice just to kind of appreciate the visual of that by itself um, outside of outside of the game. But I guess it's also a way of you might not um, let's just continue with FTL. I mean, you might not be interested in FTL or subset games at all when you might not be interested in reading the chapter that's dedicated to them and but if you're flicking through and you just come across that then if you don't know necessarily immediately what that is and you don't have that sort of bias or negative bias towards it being from from a game or a company that you've no interest in then you might look at it with with sort of unbiased eyes and then decide oh actually i you know i do like that and then it kind of encourages you to then go and find where the rest of the related content is in the book um and then reads about a company that you wouldn't have otherwise taken any interest in and you know hopefully we've done good good a job good enough job at communicating what's interesting and why that why that game and why those people matter that you do have a kind of an appreciation that you wouldn't have otherwise had so yeah i mean there is a i guess there is a slight maze like quality to it when you first flick through it but um yeah i mean we wanted you to kind of spring um sort of come across things that you weren't that you almost didn't know that you were interested in and i think having that sort of less formal structure kind of helps facilitate that i think that that's i mean john's put that very eloquently i think i think it, what i would add is it's also like a, a bit of a, a short sharp slap around the chops that it it you've just read a chapter on something so perhaps for example uh acid wizard acid wizard studio who are making a game called darkwood it's very very dark very brooding very um very intense and then you finish that chapter kind of you finish reading their story and you turn over the page and then there's a picture of a uh werewolf playing a guitar made from a skeleton um and it's very colorful and you think my god what is that and it just serves as a a little uh not i mean not a wake-up call but a little sort of it just takes you out of the thing that you've just been reading and I guess a palate cleanser in a way it sort of makes you think oh okay well this is something new this is something and because you haven't as John said you haven't read about that particular image and it, it might be a, a werewolf or it might be a a more sort of painterly image of a uh, a beach scene from something like Dear Esther or the musical score um that you mentioned earlier Chris it, and it just it it helps or it forces you to look at it with um with different eyes because it is it is out of context it is something i've not been reading about this so and this is all of a sudden got my attention um and in a very basic way if you're if you just pick the book up and flick through it because there's no need to read through it chapter by chapter from start to finish if you just pick the book up and flick through it as you would kind of a, a coffee table book then there'll be things that catch your eye um throughout that yeah that can just be appreciated in their own form um, without necessarily having, you don't need to read about it to, to understand it or appreciate it. You can just look at it and go, yeah, that's, that's a, a nice or an interesting or a, in some cases, disturbing uh, image. Yeah. It's, it's very striking. You flick through, you read mm. something 
and like, oh, oh, God, um, what, what was that? Or, oh, there's a spaceship thing. I recognise that spaceship. I think I recognise it. But mm. it's not just, oh, no, this is very particular, angled, like, you know, and it's just, I, I really mm. liked it. I just wanted to talk, what you to draw out of you why you did that, because I think it was a really inspired thing to do. You could have so easily just made it very, you know, here's, here's a section of this developer. Here's a section about, you know, the... Um, the train jam, and that's fine. You could have done that, yeah. You, you, but you did. Yeah, I think. Know. Yeah, I think because um, I mean, a number of the developers have that we've that um, around which the chapters are based have a kind of, um, you know, that they they keep a a consistent. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying identical, but they have a kind of consistent art style to to a lot of their games. So so the keyboards werewolf image that was mentioned there that's um that's a denaton image and it does have the kind of a similar kind of vibrant psychedelic pixelated look to a lot of the hotline mammy visuals and i think if there's a risk that if we just um place the werewolf image next to the hotline mammy visuals then it's almost like okay and now this 10 pages of the book are this thing and then this 10 pages are this thing and we you know we want it to feel more like communal like all the all the different developers that we're here that are in the book are kind of you know they're mixed together they're they they have things that are similar they have things that are different and yeah that was a visual way of kind of communicating that yeah and that's really good yeah it's, again they're all individuals they're, they're all making games it's probably the only thing that binds them together other than that they're very different people and that's good so speaking yeah. of difference and and, and uh, uh, sort of, uh, how you sort of approach the creation of this game a game book book game <laughs> sorry it's a game now like, with the yeah, way yeah, it is yeah choose your own adventure it is indeed a choose your own adventure game book um, sorry <laughs> when you did the interviews did you construct a, like a base sort of framework for them or were they just customised depending on who you were talking to well, I think, I mean, there was one of the benefits, one of the advantages that we had of of creating a book rather than, say, just kind of interviewing them um, for a, a much shorter piece was that it meant that beforehand we'd said to all of the developers, we're going to uh, ask you for, you know, a good sort of couple of hours of your time. In some cases, we went to the studios where that was um plausible where that was appropriate and spent half a day there and, and spoke to various different people looked around the studio got a feel for how they worked and so many of the the questions that come from that um are particular to each individual developer there is some shared um you know in, in a lot of the cases we're trying to get at the inspiration behind these games, how they came to make games and why. And so some of the questioning sort of um, invariably leads down those routes. Um, but it was, I mean, you'll know this yourself, Chris, the sort of the most interesting interviews that you can do as an interviewer, just, just for your own kind of uh, your own entertainment, I guess, are the ones where you, you maybe have a, a very, very broad framework, a couple of questions in place, and then you just react to what, transpires during that that time or in the cases where we went to see a particular developer at a particular studio um something might catch our eye and we might start the conversation about that and that will lead to 
various places that we might not have considered before we we went there so i don't think there was any hard and fast um well there, there wasn't any kind of hard and fast um question set that we needed to hit the bases on um because in a lot of the cases we didn't know exactly what we were going to say about each studio um before we we started writing there wasn't a for every studio we want to know how they started where their name came from um you know what's their studio structure in some cases we found that out in some cases we didn't um in some cases we found it out but it wasn't perhaps the most interesting thing about them so we didn't include that so it was it was it was really just a mix of different things for what was appropriate for each um each developer and it's as I say, it's it's kind of one of the more interesting ways. I think it's good to have some backup questions, of course, but it's it's nice just to sort of talk to somebody for a couple of hours, or as I say, even half a day, and just let things go where they will. So it's a very organic book, more than the, a preset set of questions that were responded to in different ways, which is fine. Mm. Um, but mm. no, that's that's a good way of uh, that's a good way of approaching it. Like you respond, react to what you see and hear around you, and go. Well, that seems like a more interesting place to go. Let's let's dive into there rather than here's our accounts for last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and a lot. Of, yeah, like I say, so a lot of time we didn't even know what they were going to say. So if they said something crazy, then you know we had to we had to follow up on that. We couldn't just move along no, to. If they said it, then then they knew they were being interviewed for a piece of text that was going to be put, you know, cast in in paper <clears throat> then they should have known better <laughs> you know um but it's also easy to make assumptions because like when you interview somebody like lucas pope and and he starts talking about the fact that he he had an arrangement he lives in japan he's he's a u.s born um i believe that's the case he, but he was certainly living in the u.s and he, he moved to japan um came out of working at naughty dog on the uncharted games moved to japan and, and kind of struck up a a, a bargain in only the way that only sort of well-established couples can um that said well i'll you know you give me some time to do this sort of slightly seemingly crazy thing uh, which is in that case to make a game about document checking and, and passport checking in the case of papers please um and i'll spend a few months doing that put it together put it on sale see what happens and then we'll move back to the states and I'll get a quote unquote proper job um, or a steady job at the very least. And so when he's telling that story, you know, if you don't, if you go into that, either not knowing that or only knowing bits of it, right. it's just good to be able to react to that and not then say, oh, okay, so I don't know, let me move on to question two, which is, you know, irrespective of anything you've just told me, um, where did the name for papers please come from or whatever it might be it's it's um yes yeah it's, it's good to just adapt it's best to uh flex and adapt and swing things around and go okay we've talked about that then let's just delve into that thing rather than actually i had this other thing but oh well t- t- toss that out yeah. yeah and it meant that every chapter in the book could go to the places that it needed to go rather than rather than every chapter being about how the studio started what games they made what games they're making next you know it's there is a very broad range of topics um and and notions that are discussed and in some cases it's the it's the studios and the developers giving their thoughts on kind of on wider 
issues outside of them as a as a creative entity um and in some cases it isn't in some cases it's very much about uh how they how they did start and and what they have done so it's yeah it's just it's good to get that kind of wide range of subjects just to keep it hopefully keep it fresh for for somebody that does sit down and want to read through several chapters at once yes which i, I have sadly or because <laughs> i just i devour <laughs> books sorry i i just i devour <laughs> books and uh this one i just couldn't stop because of the, it's, it's a subject very close to my heart so I'm, I'm slightly concerned, Chris, as to what you're doing with that book. Because earlier we talked about the fact that you were go, you might use it as a dinner plate, and you've just admitted to devouring books. So I'm not <laughs> entirely. You just read them. You can no, just, just read, read them. them. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean by that. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. So, my well, that's it. We're, we're, we're done. There's the four, 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 four questions. Um, Stace and John, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been sharing about uh, this amazing amazing book um tell us where you can buy it you can buy it from indiebydesign.net which is our website uh, it is also available through various forms of amazon um within europe uh we post internationally so wherever you are in the world we've posted to something like last count i think it was about 46 different countries um so Yes, indiebydesign.net is uh, is probably the first port of call if you would like to buy our book. And you, you sort of hinted at some sort of next Kickstarter, so you more more plans ahead for something new, um, which is which is great. Uh, any ideas mm. when that will later on this year? I suspect much later on this year. Um, yeah. Um... Yeah, we have actually already let people on our mailing list know that. Yeah, there, there's there are plans for um, Kickstarter uh, a Kickstarter campaign um, later this year. Not, we're not sure exactly when that's going to be yet. I mean, we're no, still. Um, you've already hinted at plans <coughs> for future stuff. I'm drawn out of you anyway. So that's great. yes, yes, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, And indie indiebydesign.net is a is you can also sign up to the mailing list there, and you will then hear about things like the Kickstarter first. Which, if we repeat the same structure as we did for this book, will give you the opportunity to kind of jump in on the early bird tier, which we will probably have next time. Can't say that for sure, but that's uh, that will probably be the case. So yeah, it's a popular thing to do, isn't it? It, it is. Uh, it is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always yeah. miss those. <laughs> oh, look, yeah. board game, well, damn it. Yeah, it's <laughs> now 20 quid more expensive yeah. than mine. Because <laughs> I was uh, too but yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely the place to be for that. And we're on the Twitters and the Facebooks, um, uh, at Indie all. by Design and, and uh, uh, Indie by Design on, on Facebook. Are we Indie by Design on Facebook? No, it's independent, independent, independent by Design. design. Independent, independent by Design on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay, well, again, thank you very much, both of you, to... to sharing your uh, thoughts and feelings about this amazing book and other things. Uh, do wish you the best of luck with it. Uh, I, I was a little bit disappointed that I didn't know about it until I stumbled upon your booth at the PC Game of Weekender, which says a lot about me. Um, but, uh, oh well, obviously got distracted by something shiny or very yellow, as mm. <laughs> so case may be. So, um, yes, thanks very much, Jens. Chris, yeah, thank you very us. much. Thanks for thank showing you. us around the Sausage Factory. It's been a, been a pleasure. <laughs> 
And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the stablemate podcast, should we say, of spong.com. Bye!